chapter 2, beginning at verse 4 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. This is, and sorry, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, the verses 1 through 8 and 15 and 16. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexual immorality. Keep your lives free from the love of all money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offering to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good, to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The gospel reading today is found in Luke chapter 14. Please rise with me as we hear the word of God. Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and then jumping to verse 7. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have already been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that uh, even in the midst of our discomfort, the heat in which we find ourselves, we pray that uh, you will give us ears to hear your word. And we ask that um, indeed you will speak to each one of us, that you'll challenge us, Lord, to a deeper level of obedience. And Lord, we pray that uh, indeed as we do obey you, that each of us will know the reward that comes with following you, listening to your words and putting them into practice. We do ask these mighty things or these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And we pray for his sake that he'll be glorified in our midst. Amen. You know, I'd like to, um, I love all this feedback. It makes me think I'm kind of a rock star from the, the 60s, you know. Fortunately, or fortunately, that never happened. There's something that um, caught my attention in uh, the readings in he from Hebrews. I don't know if you may have noticed it said, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Right? The fruit of our lips that confess his name. The um, praise and worship is seen in terms of sacrifice, 
praise and worship is oftentimes seen in terms of avodah, which in Hebrew means, can mean work. So praising the Lord requires, or worshiping the Lord requires an effort. But then the verse goes on to say, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased, All right? So it's not, sacrifice here is not only seen in terms of praise and worship, adoration, but it's also seen in giving, in the giving of uh, charity, is obviously is what's talked about. And what struck me as uh, I was hearing John read this verse was the notion of sacrifice in and of itself. Because the Hebrew word for sacrifice is korban. And of course, those who know Hebrew know that the word korban comes from the Hebrew karov. Karov means to be close. And when one would offer a sacrifice, yes, at the temple, or even in the days uh, of the patriarchs, right? The sacrifice, the gift giving to God actually brought the worshiper close. And I think what Hebrews is telling us is that in giving charity and doing good to others is actually sacrificial. And what, what it means to sacrifice is to come close, is to come into intimacy, or to come into that, uh, you might say, that deeper relationship we might think, oh, I just have to do it by praying harder, or I have to do it by having a quiet time. I think those all are very wonderful things, but there's something else, right? Giving sacrificially, giving generously, especially giving to those who can never pay us back, right? Because then there's no what you might call enlightened self-interest in all of this. Yes, you know what enlightened self-interest is? Enlightened self-interest is a term that uh, one American State Department official used when he was being quizzed by Congress. And one congressman wanted to know from the State Department, why are we giving so much aid to other countries? Actually, in reality, the United States doesn't give that much money to other countries, but still, people complain about what we do give. And the response was, you know, Senator, this enlightened self-interest. We're doing something for them, but we're really getting something out of it for us. Yes? Yeah. And uh, this, is, this is what Jesus is addressing in our passage. I'd like to remind you that we're following, these are the 10 uh, very unique and very challenging chapters. Yes, or there's stories, teachings, and they're virtually only found in the book of Luke. They're found from chapter nine to, to, to 19. And Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, teaching his disciples. He's, and he's illustrating to them 
means to be his follower, what it means to be his disciple. And actually, I'm not sure I like the word disciple because it, I don't know that it means so much anymore. People talk about discipleship, and it is important. But the word somehow has lost its punch. Uh, to be a disciple is to be an imitator. It's to mimic somebody. It's to be someone's student, right? It's to sit under their teaching, yes, and imitate their life. And they're following Jesus. They're walking with him, walking behind him, because, you know, it's not enough to be a learner or a student just sitting in a classroom. Yep, Bible college is great. Seminary is great. But better yet is the seminary of life. Better yet is the personal experience when we have to uh, be faithful to Jesus in the workplace or in a family uh, in a family relationship or in the culture in which we live it can be all very abstract and very safe and warm in the classroom. But what does it look like in real life? And these crowds, these disciples, more than the 12, they're following Jesus. Jesus isn't uh, running a popularity contest. And last week, we uh, read the story of Jesus healing a woman in a synagogue in chapter 13 and then getting opposition from a local synagogue leader. And in that story, Jesus demonstrates for us who he is, right? He heals. But how does Jesus heal? It's not that Jesus just heals physically, right, or in a physiological way. Jesus heals that woman. Yes, he heals her physically. He heals her spiritually because it said that the woman had, was bent over due to a demon. And he heals her socially because a woman who's a hunchback or a woman who can't stand up straight surely is going to be ostracized or she's going to be isolated. You know, most of us, when we see people who have physical disabilities, we don't want to like go up and talk to them and, you know, ask them about, you know, what they thought about the Liverpool, Liverpool's win over Bournemouth last night, nine to zero. These people get shunted aside or they get isolated. And of course, to be isolated and to be on the fringe of a society and not to be included or not to be accepted is horribly painful and very, very difficult for people. So Jesus, when he's healing or, deli or delivering uh, folks from the demonic, he's always bringing them back into their family or into the synagogue or into the community. That's how Jesus heals. Yes, and what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a disciple is that we too have this healing ministry because Jesus tells the 70 and he tells the 12, Go out and heal the sick. Yes, but heal the sick in the way that he does, in a holistic, comprehensive way. Yes.
And so, um, we have some better, some, you might say, some clarity of, of Jesus and his ministry. And in all the Gospels, Luke highlights this understanding that Jesus comes to bring release or liberation. I'm, I'm hesitant to say liberation because people will start thinking politically. They'll say, ah, he's a leftist, he's a liberal, you know, he doesn't watch Fox News. I mean, what's, <clears throat> you know, I, we just, let's put all those things, let's put aside the 21st century and the left and the right and all these things for a moment because this is something a lot deeper, yes? Uh, this is something that, to maybe mix a metaphor, this is something that transcends all our shallow view of politics. And by the way, if, any of, if we're reading the Gospels especially, and the Epistles, or the Prophets, and we take the, the words of Scripture seriously, and they don't in some way, and at some point, shake or rattle, you know, our human, you know, political understandings, then I'm not sure that we're reading the scripture, you know, on a, on a, on a level that's deep enough. Yeah. Don't read the Bible thinking it's going to confirm all, every one of your political opinions, because it will not. It will not. So Jesus tells us that he comes to bring the year of Jubilee and Luke 4, the year of release. And just as he released that woman, right, from her social stigma, he released her from the demonic, he released her from her physical uh, issues. <clears throat> he continues in our chap in our reading tonight Yes, with the ministry of release or the ministry of liberation. And some of us might think, well, I don't have such a physical disability and I'm not so isolated or I'm not so shunted aside by my society. After all, I have 4,999 people who like me on Facebook and uh, you can say, I don't think I have the demonic so it might be hard for us to relate to that woman. But Jesus, when he comes and sits at the house of a Pharisee, yeah. when he eats dinner, third time in Luke's gospel, where he's chowing down with the Pharisees. And by the way, if we think Jesus was always against the Pharisees and fighting them, we might have an, uh, an interesting time trying to explain why he spends so much time talking, talking to them or debating with them. And of course, the setting, as we're told in scripture, is a banquet, uh, banquets being very important in Jewish society and in Roman, uh, Roman society. And Jesus um, heals, and very often after a healing, there's a teaching or two teachings and uh, Jesus begins to teach. And what he has to say is not just for something for the Pharisees. What he has to say is relevant to the disciples. And even, it's even more relevant for us 2,000 years later. 
Isn't it amazing how human nature doesn't change? Yeah? So it's, it's amazing. Yes, with uh, iPhones and moonshots and uh, polio vaccines, human beings are the same old stinky people that we have been from, from, the, from the fall onwards. And so here the words of Jesus uh, are extremely important. And so first and foremost, what does he want to liberate us from? What does he want to <clears throat> release us from? Well, first, it's the striving, pushing, fighting, spending uh, huge amounts of energy. Yes, for what? For status, yes, so that we look good for, uh, you know, in the eyes of other people, or that somehow we get the right position or achieve the right social status, uh, because somehow all of this has to do with our identity and what we think of ourselves and what we think other people think of ourselves. And so human beings, many human beings, not maybe everyone, spend a huge amount of time, which is by, in the end wasted time because you take your status and all the people who like you on Facebook, you take it to the grave <clears throat> or Facebook erases you after a few years. Yeah. And Jesus just very simply wants to relieve us, you might say, release us, you know, from the rat race, from uh, this kind of vain uh, effort, yeah, of always, 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 right, trying to ma maneuver and position ourselves, yes, so that we're close to the power. We, we hang out with the folks who have money. We hang out with the coolest ministries and the best preachers, and boy, do we have connections in Washington or in the Knesset, wherever it may be. Jesus knows it's a trap. And it's not only a trap, it's a waste. Because at the end of the day, who confers status on us? It's not something we elbow for, right? It's, it's, you know, in these banquets, you know, the whole idea was to sit as close as possible to the host. Sit up front. And by doing so, you know, it shows just who you are to others. And uh, many times at these banquets, you know, the public or, or, you know, the slaves or, you know, would be invited, you know, in to just see the rich, the powerful, the influential, you know, chowing down together, you know, having... Uh, doing what doing what they did and you know Jesus just says stop it God has given each one of us a status yes it's not deserved and it's not something we have to fight for we don't have to kick for it we don't have to scratch we don't have to crawl our way to the top and kind of step on people uh, uh, and we don't have to hang on for dear life in order to stay there, right? Jesus uses the banquet to say, yeah, people are fighting for the best positions. Don't do it. 
It's not just good social advice, by the way, you know, kind of good manners. It's just the way God's economy works. And what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, yes, is to enter in, yes, to, um, you might say, enter into God's economy, right? To adjust ourselves and to live according to God's values and live according to the way God says the universe and the world actually should operate. And humility is rewarded, yes, and pride eventually comes to a bad end. And do we have to scratch and promote ourselves or fight or elbow to promote ourselves? God said, you're made in my image. And to be a disciple of Jesus means that we're in the, God's family. And that's better than any social position or any economic status, you know, that we'll ever have. Secondly, yeah, Jesus then points out, uh-huh, yeah. What about, um, not just about our social relationships, but what about our possessions? Hey, what are we gonna do with our possessions? Collect more and more and more. Build bigger barns, as uh, a few weeks ago, John Arnold preached on the parable of the rich fool who kept building, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, how does God's economy work, right? It works in opposition to the, in what we call enlightened self-interest. Yes, because in the Roman world, not only, by the way, was humility looked down upon, but you were expected to give gifts and to give money to others if you had money. But you, are, you always gave strategically, meaning you always gave because you were going to get something in return. So you gave to other rich people. You gave to politicians so then they, you know, they could give you some kind of favor or some kind of break. You gave to people in your own tribe, so to speak, or your own family. Uh, again, thinking that somewhere down along the line, they're going to give you a return on your investment. Now, who does Jesus say should be uh, the beneficiaries of our generosity? Those who aren't worthy and those who can't ever return you know, return the favor. Those who can never give us, pay us back, so to speak. And that's a very radical, radical idea, is it not? But God has called us to model or to demonstrate or to reflect or to reveal to the world in our relationships and in our, in our approach to money, possessions, et cetera, et cetera, just how he operates and who he is. And God is a God of grace. And God is a God who gives favor to those who are not worthy. And God is a God is, God is one who gives to people who will never be able to repay. None of us will ever be able to repay. We should respond to the gift God does expect a response, 
but God knows that we will never be able to repay what he's, what he's given us. And you can't find, I don't think you can't find, you know, a, in the concrete, uh, in the everyday world, it's not some theological doctrine, you know, that we preach from church. All, these, all this theology has to be made practical, and it has to be lived out in real life. And this is the very, the very you might say, um, basic understanding right, that God gives to us, all of us who, want to, who are unworthy and who cannot pay back. And notice at the end, there's the talk of a reward. Now we sometimes think, well, wait a minute, I should give without expecting a reward. And I don't think that's scriptural. I indeed think we should expect a reward for obedience or faithfulness. But the question is, who is going to reward us? And see, this is where we, the disciples, the students, the imitators, sometimes we can get a little wobbly because we think, wait a minute, I'm going to hang back. I don't know if I need to do, you know, engage in self-promotion. I'm going to be generous, but wait a minute, who's going to acknowledge me? Who's going to affirm me? Who is going to pay me back, so to speak, for what I've done? Or who's going to take care of me? Yeah, who's going to take care of me? You know, it'd be very easy to say, giving money, especially to the poor, and especially when there's nothing in it for us, that this is, uh, well, some kind of just good works or good deeds. And others would say, ah, you're talking about the social gospel. But you know, Proverbs 19 says, if you, loan, if you give to the poor, you loan to the Lord, and the Lord pays you back. Now, you're loaning to the Lord, and you're expecting the Lord to repay you in some way, maybe not in this life, maybe it'll be in the lives of your children or grandchildren, or maybe, surely, it'll be in the world to come at the resurrection, as Jesus said. But, right, if you do so, it does not some good work. It's actually an act of faith. It is a faith act, because you're giving, right? Maybe you're giving your time, or you're putting effort into people, or you're giving your finances, you're giving with the expectation, yes, that you're not giving into some black hole, but that you are indeed giving to the Lord. And so we sometimes face this challenge, even if we have faith, who's going to repay us? Who's going to take care of us? And indeed, we should expect a reward. But hopefully, yes, the best reward is the reward that comes from God himself. Because every reward or every payback or every acknowledgement or every time, you know, someone mentions you in a book, whatever it may be, all of this is very temporal. And in one or two or three generations, no one will know that you had 4,999 friends on Facebook. No one will know how cool and authentic you were or what you had for breakfast yesterday.
right? <laughs> it's true. Or no one will care about Instagram or your um, iTunes collection. Yeah, all of that is fading away. It's fading away as we speak, right? But there are things that we do that will have eternal significance, and they will not be forgotten. And I think if we find ourselves doubting or we find ourselves unsure, well, it's something that we need to pray about. But it's also something we need to make sure that as disciples that we study carefully the life and words of Jesus, we meditate on those, that life and those words, we discuss with others how we can put them into practice in the 21st century, and we imitate, because we all learn through imitation or all learn by mimicking, we imitate not only Jesus, but we find those in our community, yes, who follow Jesus in a faithful and loyal way. And we ask them to help us, and we allow them to be our models. And we allow, uh, and we hopefully can examine, you know, in their lives, the, the challenges and the, very, and the blessings of discipleship. And I think that's what's at stake here. Now, Luke's gospel has this incredible emphasis on the poor that virtually does not exist in any other gospel. And uh, it's always been our contention at Christ Church that ministry to the poor or the disenfranchised or those who are on the edge, um, that this is not some hobby a church should engage in or not some public relations, you know, gimmick, you know. We'll help the poor and we'll, we'll look acceptable to, to a community. I think it has to be central to the identity of every believing, worshiping community. Because it's, it's saying to the world, we don't accept your values. It's saying to our own brokenness, I'm not going along, you know, with that voice inside that says, you know, keep all the money or, you know, don't give it away because who knows what's going to happen on a rainy day. It's a rejection of all of that. And it's, again, it's an act of faith, right, that says we believe in a universe and in a world that operates on a different standard and in a, and in a different way. And it's on God's standards. And that, those standards, those values, have been modeled for us par excellence by Jesus. So we have a mercy fund at uh, Christchurch that uh, helps the poor locally in, a very, I think, a very holistic way. And also we have different folks in our community who have uh, other ministries uh, to those who are poor or those who are in the fringe of society. And uh, I can't think of anyone, who, uh, any group of folks that are more disenfranchised uh, and more vulnerable than the millions of refugees uh, that uh, sadly 
uh, populate many corners of this planet. And so one of our members has spent some time working with the refugee, work, working in the Middle East with refugees and the poor. And I'd like to, for him to share his story because I hope that he'll inspire us uh, to, to be a bit risky and to be bold and to step out uh, and ask the Lord um, how and where he wants to use us. Okay, so where's Roger? Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.